Okay, this is the Steep Ravine podcast with Dave Frank and Matt Wilkinson, where we have deep thoughts about running sometimes. It sounds like you almost forgot to forgot the name of the podcast there, Matt. For just a second. You paused for a second there. It was like, it's the, uh, this is the, uh, what are we on? This is Steve Ravine. Uh, I'm doing all right. I got it. You know, I got a little, I had a little knee thing that was bothering me last week and I didn't run and then I got sick. Um, and so I didn't run for a few days. And so I'm going to, I'm going to try and get out tomorrow morning and, uh, and see if I'm, if I'm moderately healthy, but, uh, for the most part, pretty good. How about you in the uh, beautiful Napa, California? Uh, we're getting just drenched with rain. Uh, today we, we got some sunshine, but rain is a good thing here, especially where, where I am in Carneros, where it's always dry. So the more rain, the better oh. right now. The vines don't care. We just got to fill up the soil with water, and we'll have a good season. Yeah, they like that water. Good. They like this. Yeah. Um, we actually had a little a little snow here. Not, not Nothing that's stuck, but uh, – you know, when it's when it's cold enough to snow and it's raining, it's not very enjoyable outside. So this um, is a good fact, time to have a little knee thing and maybe a little bit of a cold. Uh, well, no, no, you know, well, here's the thing about that. I don't personally care what the, what the weather's like. In, in other words, if I'm going to go running in the morning and I've planned it out the night before I'm going to go running and I've looked at the weather for the morning and I know it's going to be 41 degrees and raining, I have my 41 degrees and raining gear ready to go. And it okay. really, it honestly does not bother me in the slightest. You know, you just, you put the stuff on, you go out the door, you do your thing. But as a high school coach, having practice mm. when it's 37 and raining and blowing 20 miles an hour is just unenjoyable. And the kids that are out there, they don't seem to mind. I mean, they, they might complain here or there, but by and large, they're just out there doing their thing. But I, I just wonder how many kids aren't showing up because it's like that. You know, and as a as a coach, it is miserable to be out there because you're not running around. You're right. staying there holding a watch or doing whatever. And no matter all the nice gear you have and all that stuff, standing there for two hours and that stuff is it's just yeah. not enjoyable. You know, but again, you're out there because the kids are out there, and, and so that's all right. So yes, maybe. good job, right on. Yeah. Well, well, hey, yeah. I you know we we definitely need to get to the indoor world championships uh, today on this on this. Absolutely. On this episode, uh, there's some pretty exciting things that happened, um, and uh, but th- you know, I wanted to I wanted to share a story with you. Um, I got a I got an email from an old college buddy, uh, John Barrett, not too long ago. As it turns out, he was featured in some running magazine. Do you know what he was featured for, Dave? Uh, well, I think I mentioned on one of the early episodes of, uh, you know, years ago in the, in the Steve Ravine podcast that, uh, John was one of, uh, the guys we all went to the trials together in 1992 and John yep. was at the time a home brewer and he yep. made beer and he made labels for each of individual for all the Aggies that made it, at least 14 of us. And I still have that bottle somewhere lurking around here um and so i'm gonna guess it was related to, maybe it's not related to that john's a doctor now maybe he's maybe he invented some cool thing uh, no well know. you're right it, this particular thing was featured in a, in a some kind of running magazine uh related to his 1992 olympic trials and you know when i first met john um the thing that stood out well he was a really good runner i mean uh up at uc davis I, I couldn't really, you know, coming from where I came from at, at Drake High School, I was just, like I said, an average runner. Here's this guy who's running relentlessly. Every time I see him in races, uh, he's running, you know, he'll run, for five, and this is maybe easy for you, but for me, it was a big deal. I saw this guy run 440, 445 pace per mile for five miles on a regular basis. And I just thought, Man, I can do that for two. How does he do it for five? Um, just a, John's really, tough. So he's tough, and he had, and he may not have been like, um, you know, super super gifted physiologically, but his he, his mental toughness, I think, was greater than anybody else, uh, at least anybody else that that I knew at that time. 
So, so John, fast forward to 90, you know, sometime 1991 or so. Yeah, it was 91. He runs Cal International and qualifies for the trials. And he ran like 218 and change. 218-something. I was also a 218-something guy. In fact, I just saw the entry list. I was going through some boxes the other day. And I saw the entry list with all of us that, that ran that year. Ah, and, and how many Joe guys Ruby, were in that race? 110. Um, 110. Joe, Joe Rubio was a 218-0-something. I was 218-30-something. And I think John was maybe 218-42. Uh, but there were a bunch of us right there in the 218s. So, um, okay, okay. Yeah. And so... 110 guys ran, and it was at, you said, at Columbus, Columbus, Ohio. Right Columbus, year, right? Ohio. Yep. Yeah. How many guys finished? Exactly half. Exactly half. And I will tell you exactly. this. I was, I was one of the 55 who did not finish. It was two 13-mile loops, like a figure eight. And uh -huh. it came back, and the first loop ended right at the hotel. The starting line oh. were right there all together. How convenient so, uh, is that? <laughs> of the 55 that did not finish, I would be willing to bet, and I don't think there's a statistic on this, but I'd be willing to bet that of the 55 who didn't finish, 35 stopped at 13 miles because that's where the hotel was. And it made more sense to run back to the hotel than to wait for the loser quitter bus, which I'd been a part of in, in previous races as well. Um, so just getting back to the hotel and then going up there and putting on some other clothes and going out and cheering on the, the finish was uh, – there's a, a better choice. So, um, but yeah, uh, exactly half of the field did not finish. Well, so, so when I first heard about John's performance at that race, I remember, uh, I learned a new term. I had not heard this term before. <laughs> the term was DFL. Now I've heard of, I've heard of DNF, which is did not finish, had not heard of DFL. Can, can we say that on this show? No, what, what is but we can, certainly, we can certainly intimate as to what yes. it is. It's right. simply dead last with a with a jack-of-all-trades word in the middle that starts with F. Okay. Um, so okay. it's dead last. And, gotcha. uh, you know, it's. And I'll tell you this. Uh, I, I learned that in college. I'd never heard of it uh, as a high school runner, but I learned in college what DFL stood for. And then... And then I learned when when you're when you're last and you're really last, like you are so far behind that you know everybody else has been in for whatever you know in whatever race it is, a significant margin between the second to last place person and the last place person. That's not just DFL. That's E A M F L, dead ass mother last. Okay. Okay. And uh, and that is no that's nobody wants to be D A M F L. Damn full. Right. Well, so I remember thinking at that time, well, geez, you know, my good buddy, John, he finished dead F last in a really <laughs> prestigious race. And I thought, eh, that's too bad. I wonder, what did he run? Well, he ends up, he ran a 237, which, you know, is not a great time if you're in the Olympic trials, but it's still decent, you know, respectable it, marathon it's time. It's still six minute pace. Yeah. And, and he did that after, I, I mean, Basically, his that what the article said, and I haven't spoken to John yet about this, but he had uh, a medical issue. I think within four months of the race, where he needed surgery, they opened him up and performed the surgery and closed him back up, <laughs> and then he was able to heal up for a few weeks, and then he ran the marathon and he yeah. ran two thirty seven. You know, uh, so it makes sense that he didn't have a good day, but. Going back to what I said about John, you know, where I every time I saw him running, he was all in and he was right. ruthless. Uh, and I think that mindset was, look, I, I came to this race. I'm going to race and I'm going to cross that finish line. And so so he did. And he could, you know, well, I don't think it, it's not in his it was never in his programming to not finish. If he was going to go right. out to Columbus, Ohio, knowing that he wasn't going to have a good race. He wasn't going to go out there and drop out. So right. he finished the thing, and well, it turns out he was DFL. And, you know, the, the, the gist of this article that you are talking about from Defector Magazine um, is, you know, is it better to, to DNF or better to be DFL? And I think it really just depends on the, on the athlete's mindset, right? And if you are an athlete that has, you know, if you are, say, a pro – 
and you make your living running and you're not going to, you can tell in 10 or 15 miles, you know, how you're feeling and what it looks like, you may be better off dropping out and being ready to run another race in two or three or right. four weeks because, yep. you know, maybe your sponsor requires it. Maybe you can make some money running the, you know, the Bix seven miler or you know, whatever else. And so, but for, I think a, a guy like John and, you know, I, I wish I could say me as well, but, um, there was no other race. I mean, he didn't, he didn't have, you know, he was studying to be a doctor and, yeah. uh, you know, he, he didn't, he didn't have a contract. He didn't, he just had his pride and, and, and probably, uh, more than likely he didn't expect to make the next Olympic trials. I'm not saying he couldn't have, but it wasn't, I don't think he took it for granted that, well, I made it this time. I'll probably make it next time. So even if I don't finish here, it's no big deal. I think that was, I imagine that was part of his mindset. You know, at that so, point, I think John was saying, look, I, I, I'm going to postpone medical school for a year so I can train for the trials. One shot deal. If it doesn't happen, I'm moving on with my life. And that's what yeah, he ended up doing. Yeah. Well, you, uh, what, when you first started talking about John, you mentioned mental toughness. And, it, you know, watching some of the races from the uh, world championships, I know we're not going there quite yet. But I actually thought about that particular term, and I'm going to come back to it later. So I wanted to tell you that now. So when I forget, you'll remind me. I, I will remind you. So uh, awesome. Another funny thing. Um, uh, I, I, I mentioned my buddy, Jim Scatini, who you know well. Yeah. Um, he's now coaching at Monterey Peninsula College. And uh, I know you want to talk about coaching. Um, so we'll get to that. Uh, but I wanted to just mention, so Jim's down there and it was, he was at the Stanislaus State invitational yesterday in turlock california in, in turlock california and uh he 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 bumps into uh one of the gentlemen featured on our earlier podcast the olympic trials marathon podcast uh cj albertson was there coaching uh for a a new junior college in clovis so jim and and cj had a chance to visit and i just thought that was that was really cool. Here's this guy, you know, we're kind of talking about. Uh, he was he was fifth overall last month in the in the trials. He ran a two ten and, and, and something, and and close, close to making. Yeah, he was cl very close. Yeah, close like a house of fire. Right, right. Uh, so so I, I I just thought that was that was I pretty think cool. That's, be, I, be able to hang out. Now I wanted to ask you though, Dave, if you're okay, here's this guy. <laughs> clearly a talented distance runner about 30 years old he's coaching uh at a junior college in clovis um and, and I, I no no dis, no disrespect intended but does does being an outstanding distance runner like cj is qualify him to be a outstanding uh junior college distance coach what do you think? Uh, you know, it's to me, uh, you know, I was an economics major in college and I regularly was frustrated by the answer to lots of uh, economics questions because, you know, there would be a bunch of parameters set forth and this is happening in Florida, but it was, uh, you know, but the a Republican got elected and blah, 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 blah. And what's the final effect? And the answer was always, well, it's ambiguous. And that frustrated me all the time. But, but yeah. what I'm getting yeah. at is that there are, there are lots of people that are coaching at the high school level, college level, professional level, some of whom were fantastically talented and successful coaches. For example, um, you know, Dayton Ritzenheim is coaching the you know, on-track club, right? Uh, right? Or they call it the on-track club, whatever they're called, right? And Dayton was a wildly successful high school, college, and professional runner. And he has turned out to be an exceptionally great uh, professional coach, right? Mm -hmm. And But there are just as many really successful, uh, you know, runners that, that go to coach and do not turn out to be very good coaches. And I don't think it's just uh, limited to running. But I, 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 one of the things I've heard oftentimes is that people that were really good at something have a hard time understanding why the people that they're coaching can't do or won't do certain things. Why, mm -hmm. why, why just, just do this. I mean, that's all you got to do. 
just got to run 130 right. miles a week, CJ would say. Now, I'm not just joking. I don't think no, I, 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 I want to be clear. We're not talking about CJ as a coach at all. I just, in right. general, does me, being a great distance runner qualify you and, to be a great distance coach? And, and forget about forget about CJ. Uh, right. And, and, and so, I think, yeah. No, go ahead. Well, I, I think, well, especially if you're trying to run at a very high level and at the same time coach others. Um, you know, it's. I just think it's hard how you divide your time, but yeah, the um, time commitment could be difficult. Maybe right. at a JC, it's a little easier than it would be at, say, Arkansas or Georgetown or right, you know, exactly. Yeah, um, we're going to be all in. But, but I do think you know there are you know there are some things that being a high level runner, he certainly is going to he and others like him are going to understand. You know, my buddy Jeff Atkinson, we've talked about a few times. I mean, Jeff yep. was at you know tenth place in the Olympics. And Jeff coached for years at uh, Palos Verdes High School. And then he and his buddy, Brian Shapiro, they were co-coaches and they were uh, amazingly successful. Then Jeff moved over to Merritt Costa High School where he came for this, where he went to high school and they had great success. And he's now building a program at San Pedro High School and they're getting better every year. And, you know, Jeff is a guy that, you know, came from an amazing background as a professional runner, college runner, and he's done well. But again, I just think it's I just think it's a toss up. I don't think you're yeah. gonna you're really gonna know. And and depending on how much time somebody like that has to put into their own running, and if they have a family, and you know, you know X Y and Z, how much time do you have to put into those things? But I do think you have some insights, for sure, right? And you know, people, you know, you ran in college. There are a lot of coaches that you were coaching, uh, you know, against as a high school coach who didn't run in college. So you have insights that those coaches didn't have, um, right. you know. And so it's, it, I think it's all a matter of perspective and the level you're at, and and those things. But you know, it's it's cool to see a guy that has done so well and has been, you know, pretty well known, uh, giving back to the sport. I mean, you know, I don't know what it pays at uh, his junior college, but uh, I can't imagine it's very much. So no, you know, giving back no. to the sport is awfully cool, and coaching some kids that are going to benefit from having that guy out there. So that's pretty sweet. Um, yeah. I wanted to sort of dovetail off of that into the, you know, like you ran at UC Davis and I ran at Stanford. And I know for a fact that the, you know, the guys that you ran with, ran with in college are uh, by and large, your best friends. And, um, yeah. and same for me, even though I don't live in the same town as any of my college teammates, I have a group of seven or eight uh, guys scattered all over the country. And we are still, you know, uh, the best of friends. And uh, yeah. I, I would, you know, I, I think about this a lot as a, as a high school coach. I get kids that are that are decent high school runners. You know, every, you, know you, you occasionally get a kid who's a Division one level athlete. And I mean Division one, like going to go to a Power 5 conference and can, is really that good. And mm -hmm. you, get a lot of, you get a lot more kids that can go to a smaller Division one school or they can go to Division two or Division three or NAIA or go to JC. And, and compete. And so many kids decide not to. And I just know that, you know, my, my experience as a college athlete, not because I had success or didn't have success, but the relationships that you build, the friendships you build uh, are just so amazing that I, I always yeah. encourage kids, like, give it a try. I mean, like, I'm, you know, I had a kid years ago that was a, a nice runner, right? He, he wasn't great, but he was, a, he was a nice runner. And he got into Santa Clara. He was going to go to Santa mm -hmm. Clara and run, and yeah. he, he he left Felipe Montoro, the coach there. He really liked Felipe, and his parents had both gone to Notre Dame, and he'd always wanted to go to Notre Dame, mm -hmm. and he got in Notre Dame. He came into me one morning and said, "Coach, I, I'm not going to I'm not going to run to Santa Clara." And I gave him, "What are you talking about? You're not going to run to Santa Clara? We talked about this. Your Felipe is expecting you going to be." He goes, "I got in Notre Dame." I said, "Well, of course you're going to Notre Dame." <laughs> like it wasn't like that wasn't a choice. I mean, he'd wanted to go there his whole life. Um, yeah. And so that wasn't a choice. But, you know, if you're a kid deciding between a school where you can run and you can't and all, all things otherwise are equal, um, I just think it's, you know, and that, he, he ended up uh, joining the crew team and loved it. And his running experience, he was on the, the sorry, the club crew team. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't a division one uh, crew athlete, but, uh, but loved it. And his experience as a runner, Certainly helped him that, but I. But he found his team, right? And I got right. a kid yeah. so Gonzaga right now. You know, 
probably looks back at the if he's still there now but those, those crew team members are probably his best friends yeah and so i just i just think you know that you know like you, you're telling stories about jim scutini and last week or two weeks ago was steve gerhardt and you know these guys and i've got you know similar stories with a bunch of my buddies and um you know just there are just there's just so much positive and i know not everybody's college career and experience was the same as yours and mine no um, i think but, uh, maybe I don't know. I think we we got, I got totally lucky. I think that we have maybe the unicorn situation. Uh, I get together <laughs> with my guys every year. You know, I send I send one email to to thirty five guys, and within twenty four hours, twenty five guys have said I'm there, and we yeah. all show up and we gather and uh, you know for for forty eight hours, and we just have a great time catching up, visiting, yeah, yeah. Uh, playing wiffle ball. <laughs> um, but, but you know, I, I I guess you know I talked to uh, the kids of these of my friends, you know, and some of them are runners as we as we've talked about, and some of them are really good runners, and 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 they're thinking, well, you know, when they make their decision about where to go to college, it it they have to decide um, where can I go to get what my dad has. That that's kind of you know I want what I want what they have. Which is yeah. kind of cool, you know. So, I I agree, and you know, I've got uh, I just got a text from one of my college buddies, and he said, "Hey, what are we doing this summer?" <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> uh, do we do we have something going on? Is is, is do we have a crew going to Olympic trials? What's our you know? Because he he said he was watching the world indoors, and he got all fired up, and yeah. you know, we've been you know we don't go every do something every year, but we try to get together as well. So so all you all you high school kids out there listening. Go run in college if you can. It's worth it. Run, run in college, even if it's D three. Yeah, <laughs> do it. It's a I mean, blast. <laughs> and you and you can find an amazing academic school at any level. You know, so uh, whatever you're looking for. All right. Okay. So speaking of the world uh, indoors, Dave, yeah. where, where would you like to start? Can we just say off the top, we're not going to talk about like any race that's shorter than two hundred meters, and except. Except that are, there's right. two significant um, results that I would like to point out that are not that are not distance related at all. Okay. Right? One is that Ryan is Krauser won, won the shot put. Okay. I, I, I think I know I, what your second one is. So what did what did Ryan Krauser do? Well, let's talk a little bit about Ryan Krauser and how hot he's been so, lately. So Ryan Krauser, he he had won the Olympics. He has won yep. the World Championships outdoors. He had never won the indoor worlds. And, you know, and whether you think it's a big deal or not, you know, as, a, as an athlete, that's probably one of the things that's in your, uh, you know, uh, you'd like to have on your resume when you retire. Right. So. Right. And uh, Ryan. So the Krausers are an Oregon family. Um, there are three Krauser dads. There it is. There it is. An Oregon family. Right. OK. Ryan. Ryan's Ryan's dad. His name is Mitch. Mm -hmm. um, and then there was there uh, two other Krauser kids that were fantastically good. Uh, high school athletes, and and uh, one of them uh, also made the Olympic team, Sam Krauser and sister Haley, both broke the national record in high school in the javelin. Their father is Dean. Dean was a uh, two-time, four-time NCAA champ in the shot and disc in high school. I'm uh, sorry, in college at the University of Oregon. And then they have another. They have a brother, Mitch and Dean have a brother named Brian Krauser. Brian was an NCAA champion in the javelin at the University of Oregon as well. And Brian's Brian did not have any children that went on to, to uh, become all everything, all world. Uh, but these other two, the two other brothers, Dean and Mitch, had you know three national record holders, three kids that all broke different national records. Um, and they were in my league all through their high school years. So I, uh, uh, Dean was the throws coach at Gresham High School, and mm -hmm. I saw Dean uh, uh, regularly. And not only was he an amazingly good coach. But he, if he was watching, if I would walk over to the shot ring, shot area, and we're watching one of my kids throw, I'd say, I'd say, Dean, what's 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 my kid doing? What's he not doing? He goes, Oh, well, he's got to do is this, this, and this. I go, Do you mind if I get my throws coach over here and he talk to me? He goes, no, I'd love to talk to him. Oh, and Dean fantastic. would Dean would be overjoyed to talk to anybody and and you know give advice. Uh, just a, a wonderful human. So, and Ryan was was a very nice kid. I mean, when we had meets at Barlow High School where Ryan went, um, they had to throw the discus before the track started because uh, the disc would skip onto the track. 
he was starting 230 feet in high school. <laughs> so you had to throw the disc and they had to block it all off the, the home straight of the track. You had to block it off because if you were walking there, you're going to break a shin because he's going to throw it. It's going to skip on the track. And uh, it wasn't good. But but the Krauser family, just wonderful people. Um, awesome. And so so really cool to see to see Ryan. And we, we talked about Ryan the other, last week, I think, about the wild duck. Uh, where he would come yeah. in after he wins the trials, uh, you know, in his gold medal and all that. So, so that's yeah. one. The other one, and I, you want to guess it? Yep, I know. It, women's long jump. No, but you yeah. tell tell me about that because I did. Well, I actually did I, see I, results of that. Speaking of hanging out at the Wild Duck after the trials, um, we had uh, Tara Davis. Tara Davis showed up. And she's now world champion indoor in uh, an Olympic year in the long jump. So I, I don't know how different things are um, uh, indoor versus outdoor in the long jump and how this might translate to, you know, July, August timeframe. But I'm pretty excited for it. She, again, you know, <laughs> we, we, we bumped into her at the Wild Duck. Super yeah. down to earth yeah. person. Super nice. It's great to see her having such success. And okay. the and Americans went one two in that event, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. All right. So here's my other one. I'll just be very brief, but I I just I want people to marvel at this stat. Um, there's you know back in even before our day to a certain extent, Edwin Moses won something like 102 straight um, you know finals in the 400 hurdles, and it was something like that, right? An an amazing number. I don't know how many years it stretched, but you know, he won the foreign hurdles every, you know, every time out for, I don't know how many years, right? So yeah. Grant Hall, they won the, the world championships indoors at 60 meter hurdles uh, yesterday, I believe it was. And whether, whatever he ran out, doesn't matter. He has yeah. not lost an indoors, well, they don't run the 60 meters outdoors. And I know they run the 110s outdoors, a different race. He has not lost an indoor 60 meter hurdle race in nine years. Every time he goes out to run. Who goes in to run in nine years? He has won that race. Now, he might not have won a semifinal or something like that, but he has won every final over nine years, which is a pretty phenomenal thing. And he's not yeah. that old. No. <laughs> and he, yeah, he's you still know? winning, still winning outdoors big time. Yeah. Yeah. And he, I just, I love his demeanor. I love when you see him, when you see him interviewed, he is just, he's, He's gregarious and fun, and, see, and loves the sport, and seems seems like a darn nice guy. So makes me yeah. happy that he, that he's uh, that he's done well. So all right, okay, that was my, I, that was before, my we, before we before we go to this instead. There's one more that I wanted to uh, that surprised me, and maybe this shows my my ignorance, uh, which I'm happy to bear uh, with our <laughs> thousands of listeners. Uh, four by the, the men's four by four. Uh, the U.S. was was second, lost to Belgium by just under a second or just over a second. No, by a tenth, not even a tenth. It was yeah. a very close race. Yeah. Um, there are two guys on that team that that I did not think would run a 400. Uh, I thought they were 100, 200 guys: Matthew Bowling and Noah Lyles. And I'm just surprised that they popped up to the 400 and were ran so well at that distance. Does that surprise you or and am I just being dumb here? Or well, uh, no, but but no, not at all. Bowling, bowling, you know, at when he was at Georgia, he was much more of a 100, 200 guy and he long jumped. But since he turned pro last year, he ran the he did run the 400 at the indoor nationals this year. He did not run the, the two, I believe. Um, okay. but he just ran the four. So he probably got a spot on the team because he ran the four. And you know, the the famously you know, even though he was, uh, he'd run whatever he ran, 999 or whatever in high school in the 100. Yeah. He, he also famously ran a ridiculous four by four leg. Uh, maybe it's their state meet. Uh, it's worth a YouTube uh, look. Okay. Uh, okay. To watch him look. run some guys down. So he, he can run a four, but he, I think he's been focusing on the four this year. So, but Lyles, Lyles clearly, you know, he's been training. So, you know, he's a 100, 200 guy. 200 always been his best event. Um, and now here he is running the 60 and being competitive in the 60. Yeah, and winning uh, the 60. I think he won one mil run. Well, he got second. He, uh, well, yeah, he won, well, he won the USA's, beat Christian Coleman. Okay, Coleman okay, okay. won one here. They went one, two in the 60. Okay. 
But okay. now to jump up and run, <coughs> excuse me, an event, what, seven times longer? Well, yeah. if you go back and look at Noah Lyles as a high schooler, he regularly split 45 something in the four by four. So now that doesn't okay. mean he's been training for it. Uh, but I looked at the splits from that race. You know, he was he didn't run 43 something and blow everybody away, but he certainly was competitive. He ran 45, 30 some or 45, 60 something, which is pretty you know, uh similar to what other people ran. So, so, so uh, Dave, let me just know. tell you, this is why I like talking to you because you know, you know all these things. <laughs> I'm not paying <laughs> close enough attention. I'm surprised that Noah Lyles could run that fast over that distance. So pretty well, cool. Well, go, yeah, going back another 20 years or whatever, you know, Usain Bolt was the world junior record holder at 400 meters. And there then you, there you go. then started running, you know, dropped down to run 100s and 200s. And I, I first heard of him as a 400 guy, not a 100, 200 guy. So crazy stuff. Yeah. So, okay. So anyways. now we got all, right. all the distance of starting with the 800 and on up. Tell me who, which one of those events stood out to you uh, as as the biggest deal, the one that you know got you pretty excited. Well, you know, watching all of them, um, you know, they they each had their own cachet. Um, but I gotta I gotta say that watching uh, ESP Ellie Saint Pierre win yeah. win the three K. Uh, yeah. against a woman who is, you know, track and field royalty. Yep. Uh, clearly, you know, not expected to win. Um, you know, she'd been running great. We've talked about her. She, you know, she ran at Milrose. She won the USA's. So we've certainly talked about uh, Ellie, or Elle, excuse me, sorry. Um, and uh, just, like, you know, that had to be, that's awfully I, exciting. I, I just, I, and just the way she won it, you know, um, the 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 power the the way she just uh, held held off the competition in the last hundred, super exciting. And, and the thing that you know, I don't know if I mentioned it, Dave. My uh, my daughter, this is going to put some age on me. My daughter's having <laughs> a baby in May, so I'm going to be a grandpa. Ah, grandson nice. coming along in May. So my thanks. My so my daughter's 29, and uh, she's having a baby. Well, L. Saint Pierre had a baby one year ago. Yep, and and she crosses the finish line, you know, and as as world champion in the three k, and her husband hands her the baby, and she does the post race interviews with the baby in her hands. I just thought yeah. that was so awesome. Just uh, it's, very it's cool, fantastic, you know. And I, I saw an inter interview with her afterwards, and she said, you know, with like three laps to go, she was saying to herself, she'd put herself in a good spot in fourth place. The race was fast. And she was saying to herself, if I can just hang off a little bit, if they don't, if they don't pick it up right now, I'm okay. And she, huh. goes, and then I got, she goes, then I got 400 to go, and I knew I was in a good spot. You know, yeah. she, she, I knew I could kick. I, she didn't say I knew I was going to win. She just said, you know, basically, I knew I was in a good spot and be competitive, something to that effect. But, uh, you know, and her, her coach is, uh, you know, another friend of mine, Mark Coogan, uh, another, okay. you know, Olympian in the marathon. And, uh, and there's, you know, there, if you read enough stuff about this, uh, Mark Coogan said that he, that L was going to win. Um, you know, so I, I don't know. Mark's a good coach for sure. His, you know, well, there's, there's more to that, but, uh, um, that was exciting. Um, you know, clearly uh, Bryce Hoppe will win the eight. It's just looking really smooth and smart. And and again, we know that there were you know, indoor worlds is not everybody runs everything, and they don't all run right. their best event. And blah blah. blah. You can say whatever you want, but that Bryce Hoppe now has on his resume world champion, and that yeah. nobody can ever take that away from him, right? And and it's not his fault that other people didn't show up, right? He and how you know you got to think he's going to be. Competitive at the world level, the Olympic level, summer, right? He well, just looked. I mean, really good. So, so we talked about this before. He ran a one forty five oh eight. Um, oh, those are the semis. So I think he ran one forty four in the. He ran one forty four ninety something today. I think. Yeah, one forty four nine in in the final wins the thing. And again, I just think it's it's a little bit harder to run an eight hundred indoors than outdoors. So. 
Um, yeah, and he, he ran a little bit extra distance. You know, he was moving around, guys. He put himself yep. in a good spot, though, and he just covered the moves. And, um, you know, again, the, the best guys in the world, a lot of the best guys were there, certainly. Maybe not everybody, but certainly a lot of them. So it's just, uh, uh, they, you know, on the on the coverage, they mentioned that he had been training in Flagstaff with um, with Hobbs Kessler, who we're going to talk about in a minute. Um, yep. Yep. And th- this is the first time he'd ever gone to altitude. Um, and so, you know, some people are, they call, you know, what do they call them? Uh, uh, you know, that, that the altitude training really takes. There's a name for it. I, I forget. But, uh, and some people that go to altitude, it doesn't really do as much for them. But there's a you know, thought out there that maybe for Bryce, this is, maybe that's going to be the, the difference for him. But, uh, but just a, a joy to watch that race. He looked fantastic, you know? Um, so that was cool. Um, the other, the other events, uh, you know, uh, well, the, the men's three, men's three with uh, Josh Kerr winning. Um, uh-huh. I, you know, this. Let, let's let's sort of go through the different events because then I want to get back to that mental toughness conversation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay so, so let's see the men, men's men's three. So yeah, men's three. Uh, Kerr runs smart, tough, puts himself in the right spot with a lap, you know, two hundred meters to go. And, and, and who was he fighting? Who was who was in the race with him? Well, uh, Solomon Bayerga, who was probably the favorite, uh, Yared Nagus, American, was, mm-hmm. was in there. Um, oh, excuse me. I just had a little, uh, you know, uh, trying to think which, uh, who else was in that race. Well, I, was, I was, I was, I wanted to mention those two guys, Nagus and Bayerga were, were both there. And Kerr, you know, it, it, he, uh, uh, a guy named, uh, got another Ethiopian who's very good. Uh, last name was W A L E Wale. Uh, Olin Hacker, American uh, son of Tim Hacker, former you know Washington or was Wisconsin guy, uh, ran great, got fifth place in his first ever World Championships. And you know you watch that race. Hacker goes almost to the front. He he tries to get around and get to the front with four hundred to go. And can't quite get there, but he's on the leader's shoulder. And for a guy who's got no, you know, no uh, championship pedigree, uh, that was a big, big move. He ended up fifth in the world, uh, which is pretty phenomenal. I think he's a lot more ahead of him. He's he trains at uh, in Flagstaff with Northern Arizona Elite, um, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and he had he had sort of an up and down college career until his senior year, which I think was actually his sixth year. And <laughs> uh, oh. when when he ran, I was in Eugene. Wisconsin was out there for for a meet, and he he dominated the five k in a in a race there at Hayward Field, and then went on to win the NCAA championship that year. And I think you know he just he became a different runner that year. And having those extra years, I don't think any any question helped him. But uh, but Kerr, you know, Kerr put himself in a great spot, and Nagus did not. Um, Nagus let it. And if you go back and watch that race. Mm. This is going to come back to my mental toughness thing. Kerr, Kerr just refused to let people take his space. And there, I, I got on the message boards on Let's Run, and, and people were saying, Kerr should be disqualified. He was knocking people around. Kerr's a big dude. Mm-hmm. But, you know, he just refused. You, you're not going to cut in on me. You're not going to take my spot. You're not going to force me to go outside or inside or whatever. I'm going to run my race. And, and to me... When people talk about mental toughness, and especially a lot of times in other sports, I get frustrated because I don't think people understand what it really means. And to me, what it means is that you're willing to do stuff that's difficult when it's difficult. Right. Right. You are, you are willing to fight for your spot. Some guy starts to cut on, cutting on you. You don't let him. You put your arm out. You put a forearm out. You see an opening that you know you have to take right this second, and you do it. You you go to the outside when you have to go to the outside, even though you might have to run a little bit further. And when Kerr went, an opening, Nagus could have gone right on his shoulder. You go back and watch that race. Yeah. He could have gone. He was right behind Kerr. And when Kerr started to move, Nagus could have gone with him. But instead, he stayed on the rail. And when I got to 200 to go, Kerr was on the leader's shoulder. Nagus was behind. And Nagus had no chance. And it's not because Nagus is no good. But Kerr just has the next level right now of race savvy. Uh, again, I'm going to use the term mental toughness, imparting his will on the race. 
and, 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 and it's I think, not like it's not like Nagus doesn't have any indoor, you know, experience and fight. He he knows that he you know if you wait too long, you're not going to get an opportunity to go. And yeah. that was the moment, and he didn't go. And, and 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 the goose is great, and I love it. I love him, and he's going to he's going to be an Olympic champion or world champion, I believe, at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um. You know, but I think in that moment, in that race, he he had he had a chance. Go back and watch it. You'll yeah. you'll see the exact moment Kerr starts to go around, and the goose is right there and doesn't go. And uh, and so um, I just you know Kerr, you know whatever you want to say, that guy knows what he's doing, and yeah. he can close like a you know. He runs with the Brooks Beast, Danny Mackey's his coach, um, up in Seattle, and and uh-huh. Kerr is you know, Kerr is on fire. I can't, it's going to be an exciting summer with him. Well, he's um, doing well. Well, let's talk about the women's. Let's talk about the women's fifteen, the men's fifteen. Then we'll wrap it up today. Yeah, women's fifteen. Uh, you know, holy cow! Uh, Emily McKay, I believe that's how we pronounce it. Emily McKay, yeah. U.S. gal that almost. Almost none of our listeners are gonna. They're gonna go. Who? Who's Emily McKay? And Emily McKay is a gal that was a, a nice college runner who eventually found her way to the New Balance Boston Group, coached by Mark Coogan, coached mm-hmm. with with L. Saint Pierre, mm-hmm. and she has just steadily gotten better and better and better. And with four hundred to go in that race, in a in a not super fast race, but not a it wasn't a a, a jog. Well, she goes to the front. She goes to the front. And she gets to the front, and with 200 to go, she's got six meters on everybody. Huh. And it looks like she might win. And she's a woman that, uh, I mean, I'm telling you, you know, whether we have 100 listeners or three or 150,000, most of the people who are going to listen to this are going to go, who? And I, I don't even remember what she, she might have gone to Binghamton. I, I'm not 100% sure. But she okay. was not a well-known name in college. And somehow Mark Coogan finds her or she finds him. And she starts training with that group, and now she is a medalist at the World Championships. It's just right? awesome, and and she's leading. And then the um, uh, who is the, the Ethiopian that won? Um, Hailu. Hailu. Hailu runs her down in the back stretch with you know 150, 130 meters to go, mm-hmm. and then Nick Hills, uh, nips McKay uh, on the line right uh, for second, uh, which is also Nikki Nikki Hills. What, I mean, I, I love Dickie Hills. It's it's phenomenal. I, I love watching her race. I love her attitude. I love her uh, what she stands for in the world. Uh, yeah. She's you know she she's she's phenomenal in so many ways. You know, from Aptos High School, coached by our good friend uh, Dan Gruber. Um, mm. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. Emily McKay was third. Dickie Hills second, and Freywini Hailu won. But I just you know. You, you you look at Emily McKay and you think you know we talked about you know listening to the voice a couple episodes ago yeah, right yeah, yeah and I gotta believe that Emily McKay heard the voice with 450 to go and said I'm gonna try and win this race and it paid you off know? for you know I mean she finished yeah. third she's a medalist it's awesome she's a medalist on the world stage so um, all right men's 15 Dave this men's 15 so this was uh, another exciting exciting uh, race. Um, and uh, it went out, you know, uh, I, I will say this. I was, I'm not going to say frustrated, but I sort of, I just sort of shook my head at it, listening to the, listening to the announcers, not because they're wrong, but the gun went off and they all go screaming out there in the first 70, 80 meters and go mm-hmm. ahead and uh, Hobbs Kessler ends up on the front and then Hobbs uh-huh. Kessler slows down because he doesn't really want to be on the front. He wants to be up towards the front because there's 14 guys in the race, which is probably too many for an indoor World yep. Championship race. Yep. Um, so he wants to be up, up towards the front, but probably not on the front. And they're saying, well, he went out hard. Now he doesn't want to lead, blah, blah, blah. Well, this happens to my high school kids all the time. And I tell them, if you don't want to lead, you know what you should not do? Don't lead. <laughs> you know? And, and actually, we talk about a strategy. If you find yourself in the lead, you don't want to be in the lead, don't stay on the rail and slow down. Move out to the outside part of lane one or even in the lane two and slow down. People, it's weird. People won't pass you on the outside, but they'll pass you on the inside. It's a strange yeah. phenomenon. Huh. You you go watch once in a while. But Hobbs stays yeah. in the front, stays in the front, stays in the front, and it's not super fast, but it's not slow. Um, and that you know they're rolling along, and it gets to be a point with, and I now I'm gonna have to go back and watch it. But there's a point when 
it's starting to get going a little bit. Maybe it's maybe it's five hundred to go, uh, four seventy to go, something like that. And it starts to get going, and a guy starts to cut in on um, Hobbs. The guy's mm-hmm. on the outside of him. He's got a quarter of a step on him, and Hobbs basically says, "No, you're not cutting in on me." He was on the mm-hmm. turn, and, and and here's a guy who's twenty years old, and he understands that to me that is mental toughness right there. Right. And it wasn't like he was running super hard. It's not because he's the toughest guy in the race. It's because he knew at that point. It's if you go back and watch Sensorwitz in 2016 when he wins the Olympics, right? He's leading that whole race, almost the whole race. And with 470 meters to go, somebody passes him, and but the guy doesn't go quite all the way to the rail. And Sensorwitz, I, I use the term, gets skinny. Uh-huh. He sort of turns his body sideways almost <laughs> and sneaks back through the inside to get to the front. And if he doesn't right. do that, there is no way he wins that race. And right. if he steps to the inside rail and either demolishes his ankle or gets disqualified, so what? He's not going to win if he goes backwards. If you go back and watch that race, Tip Rop was I, in 7th or 8th or ninth. was in 7th or 8th or ninth, and he had to pass a bunch of guys. He came all the way up to Sensewitz's shoulder on the backstretch of the last lap, but he had nothing left because he had to go so hard to get there. Mm-hmm. And Centro was because he made that move. And again, to me, that is mental tough. Making a hard decision at the time when it's most difficult, most people would not have done that. And so well, Hobbs it, did it here. There was almost, you're right, he had to almost turn sideways. I remember that move. Just, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, how, and, how and he, I never hear people talk about it. How did find an opening there? It just was amazing to me. He, but he, he, he but I, I think he knew that it was all or nothing right there. If he yeah. doesn't go, he loses. So, so Hobbs Kessler sees the same thing happening. It's similar. The guy starts cutting him, but in this case, Hobbs just didn't let him. He uh-huh. sped up a little bit, put his forearm out, and didn't let the yeah. guy in. So now yeah. he gets 400 to go. He's still on the lead. He gets 200 to go. He's still on the lead. What a phenomenal race. I mean, you know, that dude, I mean, we, we watched that guy run as a high schooler and said, oh, my God, he's the next, he's the next thing, right? And then he had a couple of not great years, um, you know, doing what he was doing. And mm-hmm. people, I think, I don't know, I'm not going to say I wrote him off, but I, you know, I wondered if it was the right choice not to run in college and everything. But boy, what a what a great winter he's had. I mean, it's been phenomenal. He anyway, so they get to the they get the the uh, lap to go, and Hobbs is still in the front, and uh, uh, Gordy Beamish, <laughs> Gordy Jordy, <laughs> does he go by Jordy or Gordy? Gordy is is an eighth with with two hundred to go. Unbelievable. Uh, Cole Hawker's in six with 200 to go. And again, I'm going to talk about this mental toughness thing. Hawker had chances to get out and go and move up. And he waited and waited and waited and ran on the rail, ran on the rail, ran on the rail, and hoped someone would open up. When he finally did go, he had to go super wide. And he still ran great. I mean, had, had Beamish not just been unbelievable over the last 100 meters, yeah. Hawker, Hawker would have won. Right, Hawker well, they gets finished second. neck and neck. I mean, they were so, right. so tight between first and third, first and fourth. And, and uh, Beamish passed four people in the last seventy. Right, uh, he went yeah. from he went from eighth to fifth in the in you know in, in with from two hundred to go to one hundred to go, and then he passed four guys you know down the home stretch, maybe just three on the home stretch, um, to get uh, to win. Um, and he's you know a Northern Arizona guy. I yeah. believe he I believe he's coached by. Uh, Dayton Ritzenheim as well, with on. I got to yeah. go back and look, but I think he's a. I think he's an on guy. Um, so just you know, but again, I thought I you know what Kessler did, I thought was brilliant um, at that moment, and I, I watched Hawker run and thought, man, it, you know he, he and he again there's a point where another guy cut him off to a certain extent. He fought some guys off throughout the race, but then there was a point with. I'm going to say it was 570 meters to go, and a guy cut in on him, and he let him do it. And it yeah. knocked him back two places, yeah. right? And it just made it a more difficult spot for him. And there were a number of times when he did fight people off, and he did do it right. And then when it really came down to it, and he had to have that positioning, he just he didn't do it. And well, uh, he still ended you know, up second overall. He still got a silver medal around his neck. And he could have won. I mean. If it yep. wasn't for Beamish having an amazing finish, 
Right. Right. You know, uh, but, but that, that mental toughness thing is, you know, what, I, what we talk about with our kids is, you know, in cross country in particular, you know, you're, you're running and the course is going to make a left turn coming up and the, it's a run on the inside is where it's the, the muddiest. And also it's a, a big line of people. And if you move out a yard, now the trail is better in better shape and you have a free line of sight to the turn, et cetera, et cetera. But it takes toughness to make yourself move out and run the right line. It's so easy just to drop in to the shortest distance, even though it's muddy and crappy and whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so when I see these, when I talk to my kids about that kind of stuff, this is the kind of stuff when I watch the world championships and I say, dude, you've got to be tougher. And I don't mean like, I don't mean like physically tougher. I don't mean, you know, that you have to dig in and run harder. I mean, you got to fight for your position. You got to do things right. You got to, when there's an opening, you got to jump it, you know, and you got to be ready for it. And, and you see, you know, like again, things like, you know, Beamish, I, I, I got to go back and watch Beamish's race because maybe he made 10,000 mistakes and still won. I don't know. <laughs> you know, sometimes you just have a day and, and it happens anyway, but, yeah. um, but, just, you know, and again, whether the best guys are there or not there, I don't know. But, man, it was some phenomenal running. And, you know, American distance runners, let's see. Coming uh, on. Two golds, uh, a gold in the women's three and the men's eight. Yeah. Um, silver in the men's 15, women's 15. Um, bronze in the men's 15. Uh, silver in the men's three. Bronze in the men's 15. Bronze in the women's 15. So that's a pretty great haul. You you remember we had about a twenty year stretch. We didn't get a medal in anything. No, no Olympics, no worlds, no nothing. A lot no of it's a lot of fun to watch track and field right now. Yeah, yeah. Jeff yeah. Atkinson got a, a a bronze at the World Indoors uh, one year. No, and he, he set the uh, he had the indoor American record that's fifteen hundred meters for many 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 years. Broken since then, but still, um, <laughs> you know, that's all right. Well, all right, man. Dude, I think we've done overtime, haven't we? We've 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 burned a total, you know, another fifty-two minutes talking about track and field and running. Just flew by. For me, it was enjoyable. We'll see how we'll see how, <laughs> how our listeners feel about it. <laughs> Lots of thumbs down, maybe this week. Uh, who knows? All right, Dave. Uh, we'll catch you next week. All Take right, thanks, Matt. You Thank too. You. Steve, yeah, Ravine. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Yeah.